Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning uh, we are taking one last gap, I guess, uh, message between our uh, returning to our series in the Gospel of Luke that we'll begin, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday uh, as we have been journeying through the truth about who Jesus is, and there is no greater truth than to examine who Jesus is, and we'll be back to that uh, again, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. But this particular message got motivated uh, kind of late in last week, or actually early last week, and I'll share a little bit about that, but let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time before we look into his word. Father, we thank you for just the privilege of being in a place of worship, and we pray as we look in your word, which is the, the source of life, and it's a, it's a living source, as the Bible tells us that all scripture is inspired by God, it's God-breathed, but the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And we pray that you might allow uh, us to be cooperative with you as your word speaks into our lives so that we might know more clearly who you are and how you want us to live. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I was sharing you just briefly, as I was looking at what I might share with you in between um, the men's retreat or coming back from the men's retreat and then also looking ahead to going back to our series in Luke, I had a number of different ideas, but last uh, Lord's Day, we had Bill share with us on Grandparents' uh, Day uh, a message out of Psalm 71, which is a psalm written by someone older in life and giving out his wisdom and his experiences for those to, to, to learn from him as he uh, followed the, the, the path of faith and the challenges that go. As you live longer, there are many more things you have to trust him for. And so I was uh, I just kind of examining my own heart and looking at different themes that we could look at. And I happened to, uh, between services, decide that I'd go to the youth class uh, during the second hour. And as I was, the Luke cla- uh, as I was out in the youth room, it was interesting. Uh, Caleb Myerski was sharing some intro things before Matt, who's up at camp this weekend, uh, was uh, teaching on a parable. And one of the questions he asked was, well, actually, they were they were doing a quiz on his life. How many could guess what major he had at UCLA and various what what are some of his interests? And and he, he's allowed his hair to grow long. And when's the next time he's going to get a haircut? Which he told me he was going to get it last week. And actually, I think he still has his hair. So I don't know what happened there. But his uh, anyway, uh, he he threw out a question. He said, "Well, what is my favorite chapter in the Bible?" Now, when anybody says things like that, it always grabs my attention because I'm kind of a Bible person. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what section of God's Word is, if not your favorite, one of your favorites? And, and I'm thinking through all these chapters I've got in my mind that uh, I kind of have labels on. And, and then his answer was one that actually kind of stumped me, which kind of hurt my pride. Because normally when people say, this is my favorite chapter, I know quite a bit about what's in that chapter. But he said his favorite chapter was Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And to, uh, he didn't ask me, but if he had asked me, to my embarrassment, I would have said, I don't know a whole lot about Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Now, I know a lot about the book, but if you'd asked me for highlights out of that chapter, I would have been stumped. So if you wonder why we're, we're uh, looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, if you like it, it was my idea. If you don't like it, it was Caleb's idea, all right? So... <laughs> We'll just, we'll just leave it there. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be someone, some Bible around you in one of those chairs, uh, whatever translation that is. I think it's the New King James. I'll be uh, preaching out of the New American Standard. 
But Ecclesiastes is an interesting book, and if you're not sure where Ecclesiastes is, some of those Old Testament books are hard to find, find the book of Psalms. So open up the Bible, and about halfway in is the Psalms, and if you hang a right, you'll hit Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. And even the name of this particular book is kind of a strange name, Ecclesiastes. You know, why did they call it that? Well, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, they take the title that in most of our Bibles we have from there. And Ecclesiastes comes from a Greek word from which we get really the word for church. Uh, it's kind of similar to the Spanish word, ecclesia. And so it's a, a book about the assembling of, of people. Now, if you take that with the Old Testament uh, word for this book, it's the one who calls people into assembly. And so if you have some notes on your Bibles, what it really is saying, the book of Ecclesiastes is about, is about the one who calls God's people together and says something to them. And normally the people, the person who, who's up front saying something to people who have come to a place like this, you call him a what? You can talk to me at church. It's all right. You call him a, it starts with the letter P. A preacher, right? So Ecclesiastes, many people say, this is a, this is a book about the preacher. Uh, some who, who look at this, particularly the theme in the book, they say not only is he a preacher, and some will like this, he's the philosopher. He's the, he's the person who is talking about life. Now, the preacher who, who uses the Word of God is speaking about life from God's perspective. Uh, sometimes the idle philosopher is speaking about life from the human perspective, and sometimes you can blend the two as you compare the one against the other. But this is a preacher talking to people and saying, I want to tell you about life and what life is all about. Now, normally when you're trying to find about life, you, you'd like to try to find out about the good things in life, right? How can I experience life a little bit better than I'm already experiencing? Would that, would that make sense? Well, it's interesting when you get in Ecclesiastes is there is a word repeated over and over and over again. And if you repeat a word in a particular letter, book, whatever it might be, multiple times, you're, you're thinking this is probably pretty important in terms of getting the main idea. Well, one word is used 29 times, so that's probably pretty important for this book. And the King James, I think it says, that word is vanity. And so just think if I repeated the word vanity 29 times. Vanity, 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 vanity. You know, that'd get a little tiresome, but you'd say, uh, that book is about vanity. Now, the problem is, is that the word vanity is taken on different meanings in our particular culture, right? When we think about a person being vain, we're thinking about a person who looks at themselves and is a little bit too, in, he admires or she admires too much what they see in the, in the mirror, right? Or even as they think about themselves, they have a higher view of themselves than anybody else does. And they're saying, that person is vain, vain, vain. That's really not the idea here. What the, the idea is, and some, many translations have this word, it's futility. Futility, futility, futility. And this think about if I said that 29 times, that would be pretty tiresome, right? And when you think about it, what is, what, is, what is another way to define futility? You could say failure, 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 failure. Some uh, people, as they comment on this book, they'll, they'll use a, a kind of a more esoteric word, Ignomatic. I can't even say that word very well. Enigmatic, 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 which is just, this doesn't make sense. This is just like, this is confusing. This is like depressing. This is just like, 
it's meaningless. It just doesn't make sense. Now, as you've come to church, I hope you came to church for a variety of reasons. Obviously, we want to meet with God, meet with God's people, learn more about Him. But as we look at God's Word, it, it has all kinds of themes. It speaks to various areas of life. But wouldn't it have been really attractive if I said, I want you to come to church today and I'm going to tell you about things that are meaningless. I want to tell you how to be a failure in life. I want you to go through life and, and realize that life is just futile. And you'd say, can I leave now? Please let me leave, all right? Well, Solomon, interesting enough, you, you think, well, that, that sounds strange. I mean, Solomon's the wisest man, the man other than Jesus, who ever lived, and he's going to talk about futility? He's going to talk about life being meaningless? meaningless? This, is, this is depressing. You know, God gave them that ability to be wiser than anybody else, and he's kind of discouraged about life, how to get depressed. What a great self-help book that would be, right? Do these things and you'll get frustrated in life. Well, he actually was really speaking to warn us, okay, don't do this and you might have a little bit better life. Now, wisdom, and we're going to talk about that from this book, is, is based on information, but you know, we don't have all information. And then it's the accumulation of information, the point of determining what you ought to do with it. And what you ought to do with it should not be foolish, but be productive, right? But, but you, can, you can have wisdom knowing the right thing to do, but not what? Actually do it, right? And that's, that was often Solomon's experience. He, he, knew, he knew the right thing to do, and he could tell other people the right thing to do, but he didn't always do it. And so he writes this book toward the end of his life and saying, look, it, uh, don't, don't be futile, don't be futile, don't be futile, don't, don't be... Don't do meaningless things. And, and part of it is a description of what life is today. And we need to re always realize this. We live in a fallen world. And so even if you do everything right, doesn't mean everything is going to turn out right. Do you believe, I mean, have you learned that? Because you can beat yourself up and say, if I had just done this better, it would have worked. Well, no, sometimes you can do it perfectly. It's not going to work because there's other outside sources that can mess it up. Usually when I mess it up, I, I'm looking around to see who I can blame rather than myself, right? Because it couldn't have been my fault. And sometimes it isn't my fault. Sometimes it's other people messing up what I put together. But sometimes it's my fault, okay? And it, and it wasn't the circumstance around me. I messed it up. So Solomon writes, and this is a long introduction to what we're going to get to, is he, he really speaks about what we, in many ways, talked about last a couple weeks ago, that we want to we live according to God's plan. Well, how do we do that? Well, if we go through life trying to figure out what we can't figure out, we're going to be frustrated. There are certain things that God has said, the secret things belong to the Lord. And you know what about God? Who, who, when, when He knows a secret, you know what He does? Or was it He doesn't do? He doesn't tell you His secret. Now, some of you, I know, you do tell secrets because I've told you a secret and I found No, you know, we tell secrets, but when God has a secret, He keeps it a secret. And some of that is His sovereign decreed will that he says look i don't want you to bother about that what i want you to be bothered about about the things i've already told you do those things and so if you have ecclesiastes i've been giving this long introduction turn to uh, ecclesiastes and we're going to be at the 11th chapter but before we look at that let's look at the 12th chapter and he does what most preachers don't do is that when he says he's going to conclude he concludes you know you know you know what it is said about preachers when they say finally you know what that means absolutely nothing. I mean, they can go on and on and on after they say finally or conclusion. But Solomon does pretty good with that in verse 13. He says, the conclusion, when all has been 
heard, when you listen to everything I've said or read everything I've written, is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. You know, that, that puts it down pretty simply. It's kind of like the hymn, trust and obey. And that's basically what God said. Look, if you want to have the secret Christian life, it's trusting Him and obeying Him. You know, fearing Him and obeying Him. And he goes on and says, because this applies to every person. We're going to talk about today, this is one of those messages that applies to everybody. Actually, most messages apply to everybody. This particularly applies to everybody because bottom line, what I'm going to tell you today, God's will for your life and my life is that we ought to live wisely. Would, would, would we all agree that, that that applies to all of us? I don't want any of you to go out of this place living foolishly. What I want you to go out of this place is live wisely. And then God gives us some specific things that say, okay, this is, this is how you live wisely. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And so God knows when we don't, we'll live wisely, and He knows when we do live wisely. And what He does, He says, I want to help you live wisely. There are certain things that are just, in a sense, black and white. These are clear that you do this and you don't do this. But what about those things that aren't so clear? And that's what we talked about. When you have to make decisions, and and there isn't something specifically that has been stated in the Bible about what you ought to do, then God is saying, okay, I I gave you principles. Now take the principles and just make a wise decision. Okay, And some of that is is not only specific areas, but, but directions in life, the direction you're going in life. So let's look at it this morning as we look at what the Bible says about living wisely. And again, this is what Caleb says his favorite chapter in the Bible is. And I, This message in the second service ought to be better than the first service because I, I said, well, what did I miss that I said in the first service that you would have said? And he, I had to kind of drag it out of him. But I'll put a nuance on a couple of things that he said um, between the services. Uh, learning, um, and the, you know, again, this is kind of a long introduction, but living wise, and I've said this many times before, but... How, how you get wise in life is learn from your life, right? And often you learn best when you make mistakes. Would you agree? I, I just did something. I don't want to do that again, right? Uh, that was the wrong path. I, I better not go down that again. Now, what the Bible says, okay, you can learn just from your, your own mistakes, but it's a little bit better in life to learn from what? Other people's mistakes. And so Solomon writes some things, and he says, okay, learn from me, because I, I got it wrong a few times, and here's some good advice for you. Uh, here's some things to live wisely. Now, let's look at it this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. And this is a poetic section in Scripture, and a poetic section in Scripture uh, is, is difficult to interpret because you're, it's hard to get, they're using idioms, they're using pictorial language, and you say, I hope I'm getting the picture that gets to the point. Do you remember, um, I, I've said this before, but if you remember having to interpret poetry in school? Remember that? Raise your hand if you ever had to interpret poetry. The English teacher said, okay, read this poem and tell, me, tell you what it means. Some of you were great at that. I was not very good at that. I'm thinking, what in the world is that po- poetic person writing now? That doesn't make sense to me. Um, and so poetic language in the Bible, there is a, a correct interpretation, but sometimes there's some flexibility in how you understand it. So I'm going to try to give you a little bit the, the more common explanations of this, but some of it is uh, it's hard to nail down, but the principle is there. So he tells his readers, I want you to live wisely, and let me give you some principles. Number one, cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now that's, you can tell this is poetic because you could take that a lot of different ways, right? Nod your head like you're still listening to me. 
So, so what is he saying there? Cast your bread upon the water. Now, on a physical level, I've never done that. I don't go down the ocean and you know throw you know throw bread into the into the waves. You know, I don't go on a on a. I don't feed ducks either. But anyway, I don't you know I don't you know I don't go in there and throw out stuff. I don't. But he's saying, cast your bread upon the waters, and it will it, you will find it after many days. What is he saying here? Well, interpreters take this a couple different ways, but let me give you how I'm going to take it, at least the main point, and then we'll look at a couple ways you could take it in terms of concretely. What he's going to tell you, I want you, I want you to take what you have, and I want you to invest it, and I want you to do boldly. And what I want you to do is I want you to invest boldly and wisely in your future. What's going to come next? And the reason I got at least that part of it, I think, clear in my mind is what he's saying there. You're, you're getting rid of something now for what will return later. Isn't that what it's here? Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Does that make sense? At least you understand my, my thinking, trying to interpret that. Is This is something now that you have. You have your bread. Get rid of it. And if you get rid of it, it will return. And it looks like it will return back in a greater way than you sent it out. You're with me? And... and Another way to, and if I were to rewrite the outlines, I might, you know, say some of the things a little bit differently. Some will just take the general principle and say, what you need to understand in life to live wisely is be generous with what you have. Don't hold on to what you have too tightly because if you do, you're not going to get anything more and you won't be prepared, be prepared for the future. Isn't that true? If, if you wanted to have some return on your money and you buried it in the ground, would that be a better investment than putting it in a... Um, let, let's take the most conservative investment. You know, you don't get anything much on, you know, CDs. But let's say if you put it in a CD, would you have more money after a period of time if you put it in a CD and then you bury it in the ground? Yeah. Uh, you'd have more in the CD. So you got to do something. you got to cast it out if you're going to get a return. And, and that's true not only financially, but it's in, in, in every part of life. If you're going to get prepared for the future, you, you, you can't hold on too tightly for what you have. You've you got to invest in your future. Um, I, you know, I've looked at, and some take this, okay, the, the, the imagery here, some take it as, uh, from an agrarian perspective, is that if you're going to reap a crop, you better cast out the seed. Well, yeah, but what if, if I cast out the seed, I'll have less seed than I have now. Well, no, you've got to cast it out if you're going to be able to reap anything in the future. And, and in many ways, anything that we invest in that's important now is even more important when we think about what might happen in the future. I, I think it was a comedian said, you know, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Remember, have you heard that one? And, and many people live that way. Man, I would have I made sure I was, you know, trying to keep somewhat in better shape if I, if I knew that I, later on the things I do now would affect how I feel, you know, today. And you can say that in so many different ways. If, if, if I knew I was going to live this longer, I would have I been working a little bit harder on my spiritual life so that down the road my, my spiritual faith was stronger. You know, so it's in the physical way or, or whatever it might be. Take, go back to finances. If, if I knew I was going to live this long, maybe I would have invested earlier and my retirement would have been built up because I, I didn't spend everything I had now because that future was coming. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it has that principle. He who sows um, sows sparingly will what? Reap sparingly. And, and so we need to invest in our future. You know, why does any young person go to college? And many, most 
I, you know, I haven't looked at the statistics recently, but most people who start college don't know really what they're going to what? Be. They don't know what to major in. The most popular um, major when you, the first two years of college is, is undecided. You know, that's, that's what everybody majors in to begin with is undecided. So why go to school if you're undecided? Because, you know, if you start going to school now, you're preparing for your future. Now, if it's not school, it might be a trade, whatever it might be. But if you, if you just kind of stay in neutral, you're not going to get anywhere. So cast it out. And whether it's throwing seed or, as, and some say it was the marshy ground and there, you know, there was a lot of water there. But if you sow it, you, you can reap something in the future. Some take it as a seafaring industry where if you, if you send your ships out when they come back, you know, that you'll get the shipments and you'll be able to either sell what they bring back or enjoy what they have. But I think the principle is pretty clear here, and it applies to all parts of life. Invest in the future, your future, and do it wisely and boldly. Don't just, don't play it too safe. You know, get out there. Then he goes on and he says this, and this is another one kind of hard to, to make sure you're getting every nuance out of it. He says, divide your portion. And you go, what in the world? What portion are you talking about here? Divide your portion to seven or, or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Now, uh, before I even give you my main point, I don't know if they've got it up there or not, but I would wait on a little bit, is that he's saying, okay, uh, you, you take something you got and... You, you divide what you have, not in just and put it in one particular place, but in multiple places. Now, we, we, you know, we have a, a proverb in our own culture. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one, what, basket. Uh, you know, and the easy, you know, maybe your basket has a hole in it, and it's all going to go, all those eggs are going to break, you know, on, on the ground. So if you've got two or three baskets, put them in three baskets, so probably not every basket's going to have a hole in it because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Now, uh, again... This can be seen in a couple different ways, and I'm going to take it a different way than I'm going to initially say it to you. Some take this, again, and, and if you're going to live wisely, and, and really, if, if you miss the main point, the main point this morning is that, that God wants us to live wisely. That's part of God's plan for our life. It begins with fear God and obey His commandments, or trust and obey, but in the areas where He's not specific about that, He said, okay, as you're trusting and obeying me, in the parts that aren't clear, just don't do anything foolish. Live wisely. And the reality is we don't have all our wisdom, so God tells us what that wisdom is. And it says to begin with is, okay, take what you got and invest it. Okay, do something with it, you know, for your health, for your physical well, your financial well-being, you know, whatever it might be. Just don't, don't hold on too tightly. Just get it out there. And then, and then secondly, he says, okay, and then what you do have, don't put it all in one direction. Divide it up. Now, that obviously works, you know, in investing because you, if you invest only in one field, what happens if that field gets destroyed? Remember all the, the things with oil when the oil went, you know, plummeted down because of a variety of tragedies and stuff like that? If you had all your money in oil, you'd be struggling at, at particular periods of time. Other times, it would be a great investment. So many people, when they get into the investment field, they'll put it in a, a variety of different ways. But, I, but as, the more I read about this, I, and that could be true, and it's, there's probably half the people I've read took it that way. The other way they took it says, no, he's talking about dealing with a, another part of your life where you are, you're kind of, again, holding on too tightly with, with what your most important portion is, which is your time, and, 
and you're not, you're not engaging in the lives of other people. Divide your portion, your time, to seven or eight, or even eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. And earlier in Ecclesiastes, you know, you know where there are two people, that's pretty... Where there's one person and you fall, there's no one to pick you up, right? You have two people, you know, you're a lot better. But if you have three, it's even, you know, it's even stronger. And what he's talking about here is, look, you need to invest in other people. You need to, or the way I put in your outline, prioritize your time and cultivate friendships with seven or eight people. That, that's why we feel life groups are so important, because that's, that's one of the ways you can develop friendships within the church is get to know people in the church and, and pray for each other in the church and, and connect in, on a spiritual level. And, and the Bible talks about the need of having people that you can count on. In, in Proverbs 17.7, if you need to find Proverbs, again, you hang a left from Ecclesiastes, you don't run into it. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. But if you don't have any friends, when, when things are going wrong in your life, there's, there's nobody going to come to help you out, right? In Proverbs 18, 24, it says this. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, a lot of people really enjoy being on Facebook, and some people will brag about how many friends they have on their Facebook. And they'll say they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Facebook friends. But let me ask you, are they really their friends? No, they're, they're just the people who want to see what you're posting. But, but do you have people that you can count on? And Well, how do I get people who, who I can count on? Well, be that person where they can count on you. So cultivate friendships. Cultivate relationships. Now, if I was to back this up more, it would be, I'd, I'd turn to Luke 16, but we're going to get there eventually in our Luke series. And, and there's an, it's an amazing parable where, where Jesus talks about uh, a man who, who went to great lengths to acquire people who would be there with him when misfortune would arise. And so we need to invest in friends. And, and you know, a person who has people that are close to him and care about them, that's a rich person, isn't it? That's a person who, who's wise because he's, he's built into relationships. So live wisely, okay? Uh, take what you have and cast it out there. Invest in the future. So take the most important portion that you have, which is your time, and invest it in, in people so you have strong friendships. And, and then he goes on, and then he says some other things that are, again, somewhat poet, poetic, and you're going, what, what is he talking about? If the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And, and so he kind of begins in one sense saying the, the obvious. Uh, certain rain clouds, we, we can, you know, pretty bank on it. It's going to rain, right? There are certain clouds you go, you, what, you, think, those are, you think it's going to rain? You kind of look at them on the horizon and you see some things. and you think, eh, It might rain, might not rain. When we were going up the men's retreat, they said it was going to rain. But when we got there, it didn't rain. But other times you go, no, those are... Those are rain clouds because I can see out the future it's already raining. It's coming here, right? He said, okay, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. And, and whether a tree falls to the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. And again, he states the obvious. You know, when, when trees fall, I don't care which direction they fall, and when they fall, they're going to be on the ground. So, so he's saying something pretty simple there. But then he goes on and says this. He says, he who watches the wind will not sow... 
and he who looks at the clouds will, will not reap. Well, what are you talking about? He's talking about, well, there's certain things you can figure out. It, it is going to rain. Okay, that, I can tell that, that tree is not looking too good. It's, it's going to fall sometime in the near future. All right, we better you know, be prepared. It's going to go left or right, and then when it falls, it's going to be laying on the ground. But then he goes, then he talks about how we, how we decide what to do with our life. He who watches the wind will not sow. Now, if you think it's going to be really windy and your, your method of getting the, reed, the, the, the seed on the ground is just throwing it in the air, right? As soon as you throw in the air, what's going to happen to the seed? It's going to, it's going to scatter. It's going to go all, all over the place. And if you think if the wind's going to be too bad, you won't throw it at all. And he who looks at the clouds will not reap. And again, I hope you're going to get the, the whole idea here. He says, then you say, well, I ought to go out there and, and get the crop in. Uh, I don't think I can because I think it's going to rain. Now, let's back it up for a moment. Have you ever looked into the clouds and thought it was going to rain and it, what, didn't rain? Okay, and not only you've done that, but weather people have done that as well, right? They, they tell you it's going to rain and it doesn't rain and, and uh, Alice was telling me between the two services, yeah, I got an illustration for you because this week we decided we were going to uh, wash our car. And we looked into the clouds and go, ah, it looks like it's going to rain. I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to wash it. And so it didn't rain. Okay, so the next day we, we said, okay, we're going to wash the, the, the car. And it, it was obviously not going to rain. So we felt pretty, pretty wise about ourselves. You know, we, we kind of protected our, our car from washing it and raining. And today it wasn't going to rain. So we thought we, had, we were predicting the future, and we were 100%, well, the first day we missed it, but the next day, well, okay, I, we know we, this is a good day to wash the car. And so the, we were in a parking lot at one of the malls, and we got out after we were purchasing something, and, and our perfectly washed car was no longer perfectly washed. And the reason was because we had a whole slew of birds on it that, that was doing their number, okay? Now, you know, the, <laughs> the point of that is, is there are certain things in life you're not going to know. And if you're always waiting to know exactly what is going to happen, you're not going to do anything. If you're looking for the perfect time to throw out the sea, hey, it, might, it might get a little bit too windy today. I think I'm just going to stay in and not do anything. You'll never get the seed out, right? And if you think I'm working, working on the time, well, when my car, there's no one's going to mess with my car, Okay. Uh, if you're waiting for that time, you know for assurance that it'll never happen. You'll never wash your car, right? If it's not the rain, all of a sudden you're going by a street that they're doing repair work and all that dirt that they're repairing, that it gets on your car, right? You go, I just washed my car. Why, why didn't I go down another path? It's, now it's dirtier than it was and I washed it. And, and, and what, I'm belaboring this, but what's the point here? And again, sometimes wisdom is, you know, if you step back, and well, we, sh- we should all know that, but we don't always live that way. And what's the point? Live your life on what you know, and don't limit it on what you don't know. Now, what, am I, what do I mean by that? There's all kinds of things in life we can't perfectly predict. And if we're waiting to have all the answers before we do something, we won't what? Do something, right? Isn't that true? I mean, I, I, I would get immobilized. I, I, you know, this could happen or this could happen. Well, I, I better not do anything. And that's not living wisely. Things are going to happen. There, there are going to be birds on your car. And, and it's going to mess up that water. But just get the if, the, if you need to wash the car, wash the car. 
If you need to do something, if you need to get the, the seed out, sow the seed. If you need to get the crops in, get the crops in. And understand, you're not going to know everything. And, and then that's what he says there. So look, if you, don't, if you haven't figured that out yet, just as you don't know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you may not know the activity of God who makes all things. Do you know everything God's going to do or allow to do? I don't. And, and if I'm waiting to understand everything God's going to do before he does it, I won't do anything. Don't live that way. And, and so often we get, we get, caught, we get bound up and we, don't, we get immobilized. You, you may hear the phrase, anal, uh, paralysis by what? Analysis. Have you tried to think through every single possible scenario about what might happen next if you do this or that? I mean, it's good to think it through, but... I don't care. You can't exhaust it. And even if you exhaust it, you have, there are certain things you don't know that you won't be able to figure out. So don't limit how you live on what you don't know. Work with what you do know and do it. But what you don't know, don't, don't go crazy. Fourth principle. Let's move on. Verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and do not idle in the evening. You do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Now, he keeps that same theme going, but now he kind of he, he meddles with us a little bit, all right? Actually, when I read this passage to my wife, um, she, uh, I'm out loud, she said in the office, I don't like this verse. Well, you didn't write it, all right? You know, uh, you can argue with God, I mean, whatever. And, and, and really, the reason she said that, because she also saw the, you know, the, the point I was trying, I was going to make. He said, uh, you know what, you know what's, what's wise? Is be willing to be both a morning and a night person. Now, we are dividing, you know, if we were to, to put everybody in a small group and say, everybody get on this side of the fence who are a morning person, everybody get on this side of the fence who are a, an evening person, we'd have people who are on one side of the fence and other people on the other side of the fence, Right? Some people are morning people, and some people are evening people. Shake your head like you're still listening to me, all right? All right, but, but what does he say here? I mean, sometimes the, the Word of God, in the simplest way, meddles with us. It goes, okay, uh, so you see in the morning, and do not be idle in the evening. So what is he saying there? Okay, work hard in the morning, but oh, you can't not work in the evening. It sounds like you're supposed to work in the morning and the what? Evening. And they say, okay, in case you want to figure out why, uh, you don't know in a, any particular day whether morning's going to be, be better or evening's going to be better. And those who like to fish, sometimes you, you fish better in the morning, and sometimes you fish better in the what? In the evening. And if, if, they're, biting be- if they're biting better in the evening, he said, well, I, I'm sorry, I'm only a morning person, I only fish in the morning, then you're not going to catch any what? So if you're, a, if you're a good fisherman, you're willing to fish both in the morning or the evening. And, and what... Uh, Caleb was telling me, you know, I look at this passage, and it's also the idea, if you are willing to do both morning and evening, then you're, you're going to be a person who's willing to work hard, or you can be called play hard. You're not going to limit yourself. You're going to be both a morning and a night person. Now, what I want to bring home here is, okay, probably for a variety of reasons, maybe how we were raised, or maybe just how our eternal clock, or eternal, internal clock works. Some of us more naturally might be more of a morning person or an evening person. But can, can, can I just meddle with all of us here today? D- don't put yourself too tightly in a box. 
Don't define yourself so, so rigidly that you've convinced yourself you can't do anything in the morning or you can't do anything in the evening. And I know, and I'm confessing my wife's sin here. You know, she doesn't like, she, you know, she's fine with this. But is that, is that she's, a, she's an evening person more in the morning, but she doesn't like to work hard in the morning now. But I remind her, you know, there were times you used to, you know, when we had our kids, you know, you, uh, if they need something early in the morning, man, you were up like lightning. And I'd say, who is this woman? She never does this, you know. But the, the need of the moment motivated her, and she became a morning person when our kids had needs in the morning. It's amazing how that works. And, and you know, think about the people who have shift work, you know. Once, you know, three-month period of time, they're working in the morning, and then they're now working at graveside. Now they're working evening shifts, and they have to learn. Take a people who are fire, firefighters or people who work. I know uh, Allegra works in the nursing, and they have 12-hour shifts, and sometimes they rotate you, and all of a sudden, I'm tired. Well, you better work hard because that's the one we got you now. We got you in the morning. We got you in the evening. And you just got to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move myself out of my comfort zone. And it's amazing what happens when the need of the moment is there. You realize you can do it. In my family, it was kind of humorously frustrating for me. I was a morning person. Now, now I'm a morning and an evening person. But is that uh, none of my kids want to get up early and, and play, you know, uh, until uh, my, my youngest son he wasn't a morning person until all of a sudden he be, have a, has a passion for surfing. It's amazing what's happened to his internal clock. I mean, he can get up early in the morning and go surfing. Why? Because he, that, that, that trumps how he saw himself. So don't limit who you are by maybe past experiences. You, you, if the need is there, you can both function in the morning and, and the evening. Do, do you agree with me? That's what Psalm is telling you. Don't put yourself in such a tight box that you define yourself more than God defines yourself. There's a lot more things you can do that you think you can do. And he's basically saying that. And then finally, and we'll, we'll finish this up. Um, and this finishing up this last verse where there. He says, uh, uh, you don't know, by the way, which, which, was, which is going to be better, both either the morning or evening in any situation. But what I want to end up with is he finishes in a summary statement in this, this chapter about life. And, I, and here's how I would summarize. Enjoy life to the fullest, and there will, there, will be challenge, there will always be challenges, and remember to do it God's way. And this is how he kind of ends this chapter. He says, the, the light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. When you, when you want to see something, would you rather look at it in the light or in the dark? Well, obviously, it's, it's better in the light. And there, there are parts of life that are just filled with light. And indeed, if a man shall live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. And, and so he kind of just shotguns a, a number of different things out there. Look at, uh, realize you're going to go through life and, and enjoy what comes your way, but realize there is some darkness within it, and, 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 and just, just keep on enduring. And there's some things that are going to come in your life that you're saying, man, this, I, don't, I don't understand, it's confusing, it's confusing. I'd rather this not happen. It's just futile. It like, feels like a failure, but just keep on moving on. And you know, light is life and darkness is death, but that's part of what life is. But in the midst of the journey, we're on a journey. Enjoy life to the fullest. It's kind of the idea here is don't stop living until you die. Would you agree with that? And, and you know, do you know some people who have almost died before they stopped breathing? And, and, and he's saying, don't do that. 
Just keep on living. And he kind of emphasizes that again. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. And there, there are young people who go through that same struggle. And, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Enjoy the journey even where you're at now. I use this analogy in, in the first service is that uh, you've you got to be committed to, to, to make the best of every part of your life. And some people miss it. They, you know, they're, they're, going, they're going through life so, so whatever that they don't take time to smell the roses. Or I, I remember in the whole parenting issue, I, I had people say when you know, we had our little babies, and, and they said, well, enjoy them while they're young because they're going to grow up and be what? What's that age group that everybody hates? Teenagers. You know, one of the things we committed ourselves to, we're going to enjoy our kids at every age. And I hope to enjoy life at every age I live. You know, I'm older than I used to be, but I'm trying to enjoy life now. And when I get older, I'm going to try to enjoy life then. And I want to enjoy life at all parts of my life because it's, it's passing through pretty quickly. Take what you got. I mean, there are pains that you have now. We talked about this on our Wednesday small group this last week that you didn't have before. But in the midst of it, enjoy what you got now. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Sometimes it's simple. If there's certain things you enjoy, make room to enjoy them and, and take time for them. You know, some people, there are certain parts of life they really enjoy and they never have time for it. Well, why don't you have time for it? Well, all these things are crowding it out. Well, are there any of those things you can eliminate so you can do the things you do enjoy? Well, that's just common sense, right? That's just wise. Uh, certain things you, you, can't, you can't take off your plate because it has to be done, but the things you don't have to do and still live, then portion it out where you can enjoy the things you, you enjoy. You know that, that God will bring you to ju- uh, enjoy the, th- uh, the desires you're right. You know that God will bring your, you to judgment for all these things, which is the idea. Look at certain things you enjoy might not be things that God says are good for you. So cut those out. But if they're under God's plan, go ahead and enjoy them. And then here, this is for all of us here, particularly in this church. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. Now, what in the world is he saying there? That doesn't make sense. But I, I think of the point, and let me finish the line, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting, which, again, life is moving on. And as life moves on, and we have the light days and the dark days, the life and life, life and death, in, in, in between all those things, don't, think, don't, take, don't allow those things that are negative in your life to overly control you. You know, our family's gone through some grief this week, the loss of my dad. Uh, I guess he's not lost. We know where he is. He's with the Lord. But that, you know, that's painful. But if I allow grief to control me, you know, I'll, quit, I'll, I'll, I'll quit living. You know, I don't diminish the loss, but, I, but I, don't, I don't want that to control my life. I won't be good for the rest of my family. You know, you know take anger. I, we, won't, we won't be mentioning names or raising hands, but do, do you know some angry people? I do. And they, they don't seem to ever get over it. Things that have happened to them, sometimes decades in the past, they're still angry over it. Now, I'm not minimizing the pain that caused that to happen, but... You know, don't let anger control your life. Who wants to be around an angry person? You know, the Bible says be angry and sin not. It's all right to be angry, but don't let it control you. And put away pain from your body. 
I wish I could do that. I don't like this ache here. Can, I'm just going to throw it away. Well, he's not saying that. You can't. I mean, you can go to the doctor and you can get treatment and you can do some things that will be less than the pain. But some pains, and many of you are, have experienced that, it's perpetual. But again, it, you, your pain can stop you from living, right? There are people who have certain types of pain and they've stopped living. So don't let that happen. Don't let pain be your master. Keep living. Enjoy the life you have. So what, what, what is Ecclesiastes 11 all about? It's all about, so look, live wisely. And here, here are some of the things that are in the white spaces between God's commandments and making wise decisions. Look at, take your life, don't hold on so tightly. Cast it out. Be generous with your life. And invest in your future. Do the things that, you know, a month from now, a year from now, a Five years from now, it's going to be good if you do them now because they'll, they'll be come back to help you. Secondly, realize that, that you have a certain portion. That portion can be divided, and, and it ought to be divided in people. You have, not, you have multiple friends. Thirdly, realize there, there are certain things you know in life, but the things you don't let, know in life, don't let that limit how you live life. You're not going to be controlled. You would never do anything if you thought you could understand everything before you did something, Right? Fourthly, don't put yourself too in too much of a tight box. This is who I am, and that's how I'm always going to be, and I can't change. You know people like that? That's just the way I am. You've got to accept me as I am. Well, uh, you've got to accept me as I am, but I don't want to stay the way I am. I want to I keep moving and growing, right? I don't want to limit who I am. Who said I was a morning person? Who said I was a night person? I, you know, I can function. I might prefer one or the other, but I can function, right? And then... Just generally, enjoy your life to the fullest. Realize there's going to be challenges. And live according to God's plan because He's going to judge the good and the bad. Now, I would be amiss if I just left it here. And I didn't say in conclusion, but I am going to say in conclusion right now. You know, what's the so what? All this is good, but if you don't know the one who is all wise, then all this is just frivolous, right? And there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says this, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, there is, there is the wisdom of the world and there's the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of the world did not come to know God. You know, we weren't smart enough to figure this all out, but God had to reveal himself. And God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And what he is saying, it seems pretty foolish that, that God loved us so much that he wanted us to know him. And so he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead so that we by faith could come to know him, not based on who we are, but who he is. That sounds foolish. How could that be true unless it is true? And if it is true, if you're going to live wisely, then the most wise thing you could ever do is know the one who is all wise and fully revealed in Jesus. And so... As we close this morning, if you don't know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, invite you to make this wise choice and then live wisely the rest of your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have presented the gospel clearly. It's, it's, it's come to you in faith. But as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. And I pray for anyone here that if they don't know you, they would admit their need and turn from that which separates you from him which is our sin, that they would believe in their heart that 
that Jesus truly is God and he died for our sins and rose again. And then they'd make the choice, the, the wise choice, the good choice, the choice to commit their lives to Jesus as the leader of their life and the forgiver of their sins and follow after him. And when, that, when that's the desire of our hearts, you will answer that request and you will bring us into relationship with you so that we can live life to its fullest. Help us to live for you and show it to others. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.